Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Chantel Schiefer, and this is Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. Today we are in Billings, and our guest is Marcy McLean. Marcy is a graduate of our 2017 flagship program and recently completed our 2020 master's class. Marcy is the executive director of Western Native Voice, and we are excited to dig in with her today on what leadership means to her. Marcy, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Tell us about your organization. Sure. Western Native Voice is based in Billings, and we work on all of the seven tribal nations, including the recently uh, federally recognized Little Shell Tribe in Great Falls, and we work in Billings and Missoula. Uh, We were formed to build leadership and advance policies for Native Americans. There, before us, uh, outside entities and political parties would come through and get Natives out to vote, and there wasn't any th- any permanent in- infrastructure left uh, behind to hold elected officials accountable for us, to shape policies for us and by us, and to include us on decisions that impacted our communities and our families. Um, so that was in 2012, um, and we just continue to grow. Uh, we've launched a project in Idaho. We've launched a project in North Dakota, um, and we just... Our goal is to have a national united voice um, for issues that impact uh, Native American families, whether they live off reservation or on reservation. And you serve as the executive director of this organization. How many employees do you see? Well, now we have seven. That's the most we've had under my leadership. When I first started, it was two and a half FTEs um, with part-time hires um, here and there, especially during election cycles. Um, And now we have seven of us full-time employees. Tell me what that growth has been like for you, going from two and a half to seven employees. Mm. There sure are growing pains, especially to grow at the fast pace that we have. Um, But it's also been um, one of the greatest experiences that I have had in my professional career to lead the program and the team. And um, just to have the team that it is now, they're the most... Um, hardworking bunch of folks. Um, they're fun to work with. Um, and even working through these COVID times, it's been nice to see everybody step up because as you all know that working in these times, it's been challenging to sometimes get out of bed. It's been challenging to sometimes open that computer or uh, pick up your phone. And I think with our team, we are just all working together and picking each other up as we go along. Um, but it's been hard to... Uh, to you know, make the right choice and get the right people on board and decide what to grow next. And do you go deep or do you go wide? And um, I think we take turns flipping back and forth between doing some deep work and then growing wide and we'll go a little deeper and a little wider. So it's been really exciting. Um, and I have a great team to help us maneuver through it now. So the more um, awesome uh, coworkers we have, the uh, the more equipped we are to handle the challenges. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, unlimited challenges right now, it seems like, right? Mm-hmm. How are you navigating these challenging times? You as an organization and then you personally? Well, as an organization, we're just pulling together, um, I think, tighter than ever. Um, our boards are helping us. We've uh, also contracted a couple of public health advisors because we do work in some of the most vulnerable communities, our tribal nations. So we've really dedicated a significant amount of time and intention and thought around like how do we work in these communities. As you know, a few of our tribal nations, or four of them are being hit really hard right now. Um, So keep those people in our thoughts and our prayers. Um, So we've just really tried to take things slow. We were one of the first entities to pull back our operations back in March. We had our annual conference scheduled and ready to launch on um, the Monday after state basketball tournaments. And um, 
we called it all off on Thursday mm -hmm. um, before it started, which was so hard. I had tears as I sent the, the text message to my coworkers and said that we have to stop uh, or cancel or reschedule our event because um, we put a lot of work into it. And so we were one of the first ones to, you know, pull back on our efforts and then one of the last ones to get back into the field because we wanted to be committed to keeping our, our staff safe and our community safe. Mm -hmm. um, now we're doing um, like drive-through get counted centers, uh, starting some drive-through voter registration efforts, uh, making sure that we are six feet away and face masks and um, plastic face shields and sanitizing and just doing everything that we can to keep our community safe. And personally, um, <laughs> let's see, I don't know that I am getting through it some days. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, it's draining, it's exhausting. Um, some days I show up with a smile, some days I don't show up. Um, but I have a two-year-old baby that uh, in the initially, the, uh, my wife and I were home um, doing work and taking care of a two-year-old and um, and then three teenagers, which are, which are extremely helpful. Um, but, you know, it's been tough. But I think we've persevered. My family has all stayed healthy. We had COVID in our home. Um, two of the teenagers had it, but they were in the basement the whole time, and we were able to keep it confined to just those two. Mm. Um, so I'm pretty proud of our home for um, coming together and doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you know, it's just... You just got to keep going in these times. There's no giving up. There's no um, taking a rest. Even when I'm floating down the river, I'm thinking about what, what's the next decision we're going to do? What is our next move? How are we keeping our people safe? How are we, I'm keeping my employees taking care of themselves and remembering to put um, self-care first. Mm -hmm. um, so it just never leaves, leaves my mind. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Right. Mm -hmm. I wish I was in the same boat with you floating down a river someday. We <laughs> yeah. will do that. Yeah. Um, leading an organization or a business or whatever, you know, is hard anyway. Mm -hmm. But when you add the levels of complexity that we're seeing right now, mm -hmm. you know, the pandemic, social and racial unrest, mm -hmm. this growing divide mm -hmm. that we see, it is exhausting isn't even a strong enough word for it mm. and I think like you I often have those days where I feel ready and willing to dig in on the hard stuff and some days when I just I just can't right mm -hmm. and it's those days when we just can't that we need to the most right we have this thing at leadership Montana we say we can't pause leadership right we're doing our programming we're we're, we're doing as much as we can in person we can't pause leadership now more than ever. We need it. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Now more than ever, we need leadership. Uh, it's, I mean, it's showing up in those hard spaces and having those hard conversations, even though we had them before. But for me, what I've done on a, I guess, personally professional uh, level is I've uh, put myself out there for my non-native friends that, and family too, um, that are around there struggling with how to show up and how to be present. Um, I think I am blessed in that I come from, I have white family and I have native family. My dad is white, my mom is native, but I grew up on the Blackfeet Nation. Um, and just like, that's what I've been doing to show my leadership and show my compassion and like helping others just come to terms with like, it's okay. We don't have to blame shame or guilt anybody. We don't have to do that in this, in this day and time. I think, um, you know, we just keep on fighting and, um, keep on showing up and, and finding those common grounds, um, which is sometimes getting harder in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I have been off of um, social media, well, been off of Facebook for quite a while. I think since March, I've been on there maybe three times. And so I haven't seen a lot of the stuff going on there. And um, my teenagers tell me about it. Um, sometimes Angie will tell me about it or my coworkers. And um, I just was like, for me, it's like I have to go back on there because I know I have a, a voice that people listen to. I know I have things to say that might help a thing or two here and there. I don't think it'll help on like a big scale, but if I can do anything just to help my community of Billings, my community back home, um, 
and Browning, um, I do what I can to help others just be leaders. And reaching out to other leaders is something that I've tried to do more because um, I know when I get in that hard space, that's when I withdraw from everybody. And I'm sure like a lot of other folks do. So I send texts here and there or maybe call. Um, but I don't call because I don't want to bug people. So then I just send a short text or whatever. So really trying to show up as a leader in that way and um, doing my best to lead by example. Um, but that's, um, it's easier to do when you're off of social media mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything you say and do is not scrutinized by the entire public. Mm-hmm. And so I think it has allowed me to deepen my relationships that I have uh, across the nation really. Mm-hmm. And, and talk about leadership and talk about, um, especially like for me, Indigenous women is my passion mm-hmm. um, of helping us be um, better leaders, hel- helping us be there for each other more and taking care of ourselves better so we can lead our communities through these hard times. And what I try to keep in mind is like, is um, ensuring that we come through this stronger on the other side. It's going to be hard as we know uh, with COVID times, there's People are losing their lives. Um, the Northern Cheyenne community, I believe they went through a 18 or 19 day community or day um, stint with having at least one death every day. Mm-hmm. And so we see it um, close to home. Yeah. Uh, and so just making sure that we're trying to come through on the other side stronger and be good to each other. Well, as, as a recipient of, of some of your check-in texts, I can tell you that they always come at the right time. So thank you. Mm-hmm. You and I share a passion for bridging the divides between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Montanans. What does that look like to you? What does that mean to you? What does it mean to me to bridge that divide or why is it? Why Why is is that important? important? Let's start there. Start with why. I guess you could think back. Hindsight's always 2020. Why? There wasn't one thing inside of me that said this is what I want to do. But I've been doing a lot of thinking um, and introspection. Um, I was a little girl. I don't even know how old I was, maybe seven or 10. I went with my grandma, who was this little old lady who had her hair always up in a bun. At this time, had gray hair, always wore a dress or a skirt. And we lived in Browning. And we went to Cup Bank, which is a border town. Um, back then, all of the staff were white. And I remember we walked into the county office building and it was this big brick building and I was just so like amazed by this big building I didn't see them in my town except for the Catholic Church right Um, and we walked in there and we waited in line and the lady behind the counter she was white and she treated all these people she just seemed so nice to the way she was treating folks and my grandma got up there and of course I was standing beside my grandma I couldn't see over the counter at that time And the way she spoke to my grandma was just like, I felt it. Mm. I felt the anger. I felt the, probably the hate from the woman, right? And how she treated my grandma. It wasn't like, hi, how are you doing? Can I, what can I do for you? Like it was the person before. It was no conversation. Um, And so I look back and think about that, um, that experience. And that probably somehow shaped who I am today of seeing my grandma who would give the food off of her table to anybody um, whose home was always open to everybody. Uh, When she died, she had um, like 175 grandkids, 75 great grandkids, and I can't remember how many great, great grandkids. Um, But so that, I think about that a lot today. And then also like personally, my coming from a white family and a native family and growing up on the reservation and experience that ostracism um, and that never fitting in in either place. Uh, I think that also has probably the deepest part of it is the, 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 how do we bridge this gap? How do we keep people from pushing people out just because of who they are, be it the color of their skin, be it they're enrolled or not enrolled? Um, no matter who they are, I think we as humans, um, because of whatever it, it is, we are kind of awful to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's we need to learn how to be 
uh, kind to each other. That's probably where it comes because I am a person who um, I treat everybody good. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be good to folks. And I've come a long way on my own leadership journey um, since I was a young person. I made a lot of bad choices in my life. Um, So to see where I've come from to where I am now is is always uh, keeps me remembering why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I think those are two of the reasons for me that makes it a passion of mine um, because I don't want my kids to be treated any differently because of who they are. And I don't want them to think they are inferior to anybody else because of the color of their skin. And I just think the more we understand each other and the more we um, get to know each other, the better our world will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gold. Mm-hmm. So, so that gap, it lives inside you. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. What, what is that? What is that like for you? (laughs) You're my friend, not my counselor. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's see. Well, I will start on the positive side. I think it's a strength um, because I am who I am. I can, I put, I, when I tell my story, sometimes I can fit in with the homeless people down here. I can go sit and bring them coffee, bring them food, give them things out of my purse, whatever. I can, we do that. That's how I am. And I can go and, you know, hang with the governor or hang with the senator or do any of those things. Um, Hang with people who have a lot of money, who give us money for our organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And I can fit in and feel comfortable in my skin in either place. And I think part of that is because of where I come from. Um, And also I come from a family that doesn't pass judgment on folks right we we accept and um we keep together i'm not saying we're perfect but overall we don't treat people differently because of what they're dressed like or what kind of car they drive or anything like that um so i think that's the strength but i'll tell you growing up it was um it was hard uh, growing up on the reservation and knowing there's also this thing that goes even deeper than the color of your skin in our tribal nations, and it's called enrollment, which is genocide from the federal government, the United States federal government. Um, and so that on top of the my dad being white um, and me being white, and there was this internal conflict of loving and liking myself and accepting myself um, as who I am and who, and this was long before my sexuality um, became something that I would think about. And that struggle, um, I think, still is somewhere inside of me today. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I know it is. Um, But it's like facing it head on and with people who I trust and people who I love um, help me with that journey. And part of it is um, uh, a big part of it for me recently is those cheap seats and who's in the arena and thanks to Brene Brown Mm -hmm. and reading her um, books and listening to her podcast it makes me more um, centered on who I am and on myself and not listening and hearing because sometimes those cheap seats are just voices in my head they're not any human being out there it's a lot of voices in my head First time I met you was in Big Sky in Leadership Montana's um, our first kickoff event in 2016 in September, and you out of the gate shared a lot of um, emotion and passion around um, your son, mm-hmm. who you lost, mm-hmm. and he um, had cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. and I was immediately drawn to you. Uh, after you shared that conversation because I have a son who's challenged Mm -hmm. and has a lot of the same um, attributes of a a child with CP. And I just remember just being like in your presence just made me feel so much better. Hmm. And seeing that you had gone through the the most heartbreaking experience of losing a child, right? Mm -hmm. And you're still here. Mm -hmm. How, How do you, and I know that just be, and I know because we're friends that this is something that you think about every day. How do you mm-hmm. keep putting one foot in front of the other? How do you keep showing up? 
There's no other way. Just I've learned to adjust to a new life. Um, like I, I think I say a lot, broken hearts still beat. Mm-hmm. Shattered hearts still laugh. Um, you know, and I would like to say because of my three other kids, because of my wife, but it's not. It's because I, I want to live, and I know my son would want me to live. Um, I remember when I first start laughing after losing him, it, I felt guilty because mm-hmm. he wasn't there. Um, I still feel the heart heartache and the loss. Uh, I've been missing him a lot lately. Um, so it's you just learn how to live with it. And I think for me, whew, just prayers are what carried me through. I and I. Um, I did stop showing up at home. Um, I'm in counseling now to to um, show back up in my home. I think I used work as a crutch to get me through. I I was gone probably 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard. I was angry at other family members. I was angry at God. I was angry at myself. I should have done more. I should have did this. I should have done that. Um, so there was a lot of anger and denial and, um, his name is still in my phone mm-hmm. and it's been what, five years. Um, and I won't delete it. Um, just because I feel like if I delete his name out of my phone, then I'm deleting him. Mm-hmm. Um, just different things. And I just, he's always there with me. I don't know if you believe, but I believe in, in mediums and stuff. Yes. And, um, he sent me messages um, through the mediums to stop missing him and enjoy my life and know that he's there with me. And so I hold solace in that and in comfort in that. But it doesn't erase the heartache, I'll tell you. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing erases my broken heart. Nothing will ever heal my broken heart. I know that. Um, but I think we just as, as um, mothers and fathers who um, survive the loss of a child... I think we learn how to accept life on God's terms. Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is the lesson that, that he taught you? Wow. My boy taught me everything. So um, I had him when I was young. I was 20 years old when I had him. So he was my son. And then my mom raised him for some of the years. He was my brother. Um, and then when he got older, he was really into our Blackfeet ways. Um, he was my mentor and like my father figure um, he was my best friend he was we grew up together mm-hmm. um, just he la- he laughed a lot and I remember one of his last quotes I think that he posted on Facebook but it's one that we use in his things that we have up around the house um, and it says remember to laugh and make others feel good and so I've held that with me um, even um, plan on getting it a tattoo across my arm here because I want to never forget that to laugh and, and make other people feel good. He was always committed to making others feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And he was another one. It, he, he fit in anywhere too. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see the last year of his life, he was in DC meeting with the senators. He, when he testified in Helena last time, he said he was going to be the governor of Montana someday. Um, because of my work with Western Native Voice, he wanted to do things in this field too. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the thing is he just taught me to slow down and, and take it easy and, and believe in myself. And a lot of our culture, he's, he's taught me a lot about it um, in our ways. And he's just he was just so kind and he'd light up every room mm-hmm. that he walked into. He had a smile of of gold that could just light up any room Mm. I see that in you too thank you thank you it's yeah it's he's a big void and for my son for Dane he was the the center of our world so my mom and um, myself and my sisters um we are we are we're one of them is gone now um we're very tight we grew up together um 
then I have two brothers, but my son was the just the center. He was the first grandchild, the mm. first child, and you know he was kind of he was the glue that held us together. And now we're just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a good kid, mm. and he has left behind a, a grandson that I have. His name is Rylan, and he's eight years old. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, we sure miss him in our house. We and you know I we have our baby Rylan. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have our baby Liam. <laughs> and um, Liam has the same personalities, um, the same big smile. Loves powwow music. He's always singing, or listening to powwow music. Um, so Liam has helped a lot in our family. He's brought mm-hmm. a lot of healing, and and love to our life as well. And you adopted him mm-hmm. two years ago. Yeah, August 29th, we picked him up, 2018. Wow. <laughs> right before an election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was intense. So a lot of the work you do is around elections. Mm-hmm. And this is, I imagine, probably your busiest time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you, first of all, for taking the time to visit with us today. Mm-hmm. Um, what is tell us what like a typical day looks like for you right now? <laughs> I guess there's probably no typical day. Mm-mm. That's one thing in this job. I've been executive director since February of 2014, and there's not a typical day. You know, it's um, it's paying attention to what's going on in the field in Blackfeet, uh, in the field in Northern Cheyenne, and it's starting. Uh, new programs is checking in with my seven employees it's being there for my three teenagers and my wife and my two-year-old and um, trying to make sure we're recruiting equally across the state when we're hiring up these we're trying to hire up 200 people by mid-october and also just like trying to transfer my knowledge and bring everybody in making sure everybody's workload is even even making sure i'm not giving too much stuff to one person and making sure i'm delegating where i can so aside from the election, there's another big initiative that you're working on to get counted, um, census initiative. Can you tell us more about what that is and why it's so important for us to, as a state, as a, as a society, to ensure that we're counting every resident? So the census is important and it's because it's done once every 10 years, and our funding for those 10 years depends on this count that we get right now. Um, and it's, I believe, $20,000 per person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes a big difference when we have a million people about in our state. So that's one reason why it's important. Another reason why it's important is because the district, uh, the boundaries of our s- legislative districts are determined based on that. Um, so that's really important for us as natives. Um, I mean, it's important for everybody, but one reason it's important for us as natives is we have a, the largest Native American state legislative caucus in the nation. Really? We have 11 Native Americans elected to our state legislature, which is parity to our population. We're the only state in America that can say that. Wow. Yeah. And up on the high line where um, census response rates are extremely low, so that would be like Fort Peck, um, Fort Belknap, and Rocky Boy, there's um, a Senate and a House and two House districts up there, and we're in jeopardy of losing some of those Native uh, majority districts. From redistricting. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, uh, important, um, a huge importance because our Native caucus, they come together on important issues, even though they're bipartisan. There's Republican and Democrats in there. And they vote as a block on things that are really important to our community, such as language and culture preservation, suicide prevention, um, things that mean things to our communities, um, putting politics aside. I know we don't like to talk about politics right now, but I think our Native caucus represents um, coming together and working across differences and across the aisle um, because they come together when they need to for the important things. And, you know, some of them are very um, um, polar opposites on certain mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they have come together. And so that is why the census, another reason why the census is so important. And I imagine the holds the same holds true for other communities. Um, but when we think about unifying us as a, uh, natives as one voice, then that's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are two of the reasons. And then another one that's important to some folks, um, but not 
super important to everybody as we could have another uh, representative in the United States House of Representatives mm -hmm. if we all get counted. Those are the three big th reasons why it's important. And the census count ends soon, right? At the end of this month? Well, no, there was just a ruling this morning um, that we get extended till October 30th. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so we're just all full of good news today. Is that what happened when you were walking in today? No, oh. that was a ruling on the Ballot Interference Protection Act. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh. Um, so Western Native Voice and Montana Native Vote were lead our lead plaintiffs on a ballot. <laughs> See, I'm just excited now. Um, on a ballot, um, on a voting rights case, um, we challenged the constitutionality of the Ballot Interference Protection Act, which limited um, people who can pick up ballots. <coughs> so it had to be an acquaintance, an election worker, or a postal worker. Um, and you can only pick up six ballots. And ballot pickup and conveyance is a critical component of our Get Out the Vote program. Um, in to limit that to six ballots per person would have been a huge blow, was a huge blow. We didn't pick up any ballots in, in the primary election because if you go over that six, you're fined 500 per uh, individual. Mm. And we didn't want to jeopardize that. People weren't comfortable doing that because you get fined 500 and then you don't pay that. You're another 500, another 500. Next thing you have a warrant out for your arrest for failure to pay fines. And mm. it just was a, to me, was a perpetual um, snowballing into having more people in incarceration, which is a whole other thing that somebody else can talk about. Um, but anyways, um, so w I got the text from the attorney today, and uh, we won our case. Wow. So what does this ruling mean for your work? It means we can go out and pick up as many ballots as humanly possible. And it, I think it's really monumental because we're in a vote-by-mail election for most of our counties. And our targeted counties, it's all but one. Um, and so we'll be able to pick up ballots. Our people were so, um, it felt like we were doing our work um, tied to a chair with our hands tied behind our back in the primary election because we didn't do anything. We had people calling and asking if we could help them um, to vote, if we could return their ballots for them, and we couldn't. Our field team was uh, messaging us and saying how frustrated they felt. And if I can't do this for them, they're not going to ask me again. I feel like I'm letting them down. So we really felt like we were the ones letting our communities down. Um, where it wasn't us, and so it's we can resume our, well, not resume, but we can go back to ballot collection, and we'll do it safe uh, with the COVID policies and, and practices that we have in place. Um, but it means that you know everybody can have access to their their vote, um, which is what it should be. Mm. So what who what's the opposition to ballot collection? Um, well, they ballot fraud is election fraud they say is what it is and um yeah i think it's just election fraud and saying that the ballots aren't being delivered to where they should be um where there's not been one case of that in our state uh i don't think even in the nation um but that's the biggest thing that i that i heard across um, from the opposition and I think that the, if you really just think about it, like I'm not going to give my ballot to somebody I don't trust. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, um, in my opinion, it's almost like they are not trusting my judgment over me. Once mm -hmm. again, politicians um, trying to say what I, should, what I can do with mm -hmm. my belongings, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't give my ballot, and I do. People do pick up my ballot, um, and I hand it over to people, but not somebody I don't trust. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like you, our own judgment is there, right? And the people we have picking up and delivering these ballots are people from within the community. They live there. They're trusted. Um, our organization is, is trusted. We have a great reputation. So for our communities, it's um, it, there was it seemed just way off base. Because mm -hmm. in your communities that level of access to voting is sometimes limited mm -hmm. with, as I understand, um, mail, mail being a challenge mm -hmm. sometimes. And if we don't have those in-person polling places, right, how do we get to count every vote? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mail delivery, uh, the hours are, are limited. Um, access to post office boxes are limited because 
we have um, multi-generational, multi-family housing, right? Sometimes we have 19 people living in one house. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking a big three-story house or two-story house. It's a single-level three-bedroom home, if you're lucky, right? One bathroom. Um, so it's not what a lot of people would envision with multi, you know that many people living there. Um, so employment is an issue on our reservations. Poverty is an issue on our reservations. So there's so many layers to it. Um, I also don't want to leave that on negative. There's a lot of strength and resilience in our communities too. There's amazing people doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just referring here to the postal delivery system. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting your ballot is often a challenge um, for that. And then um, we don't have mail delivered to our residents on our tribal nations mostly. Um, it's all delivered to the post office box where, again, limited hours. Some people live 30 miles from a post office. Some people um, live 70 miles one way from a county election office. Um, so really access is a huge, huge issue. Mm -hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize that mail doesn't just come to the house mm -hmm. if you live on a tribal nation, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to work to get your mail. Yeah. Yep. You have to go to the post office and... And during their hours, some of the hours on the smaller places are very limited. Um, so even for working people, you can't access your mail because it's eight to five. You work eight to five, and post office might close at three or one. So let's dig in a little bit more about some challenges and opportunities you see for Montana across the state. What do you see as some of our biggest challenges and or opportunities? Challenges, um, I think as we think about revenue, diversifying our revenue as a state, um, that's a huge thing. And of course the, the racial tension in our state is, and the political tension is just hard to um, keep on going when you're the minority. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's talking about race and, and politics and everything in there, right? Um, class, that division is there, uh, very strong. Um, those are things. Access to health care is another uh, issue that is a challenge in our communities. Um, I certainly know for like people who are on the lower side of the income and, and people who are uh, living on our tribal nations, health care access is a huge problem. Um, so those are some of the things that I see as bigger challenges and also the things that I think a lot of folks are aware of, the level of drug use um, and drug addiction on our tribal nations. It's not just our tribal nations, it's the entire United States of America. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, um, for me, I pay more attention to my home Blackfeet. Um, and so those are like some of our things and that goes back into like access to healthcare, access to mental health services. Um, I know somebody who's trying to get into counseling back on my reservation and you, you have to wait months mm. to get into that. And as a person who struggles with depression and uh, mental health issues, I couldn't imagine having to wait months for uh, to talk to somebody. Mm. And, you know, suicide is in there. That's mm. And suicide rates are high on our tribal nations. Um, so this that health care access is huge. And it goes back to, I mean, in addition to that, it's... Um, taking care of ourselves and taking the um, taking care of your own health, right? I don't think I, uh, there's no think about it. I didn't have a primary care physician and do annual health visits until the last couple of years. It's not something that I was taught growing up. It's not something that I had the luxury of growing up. You went to the hospital when there was something wrong and that was it. You didn't go for preventative treatment. Um, others might, but my family didn't. And so now we're trying to teach our kids to take care of their health and take it into their own hands. Um, so that, and then the opportunities, I think we have, I think there are a lot of Montanans who are genuinely good people and who genuinely want good for everybody. Um, there's also a good majority or a good chunk who don't, but I think if we focus on those who really do want good for each other, then I think we can make things better in our state. I think about it because of my experience with Leadership Montana and the people that I have met because of Leadership Montana, um, people who 
I am probably completely opposite about in all ways, but a few. Um, but we've found a a um, connection and a common passion for things in our communities. And I think if there's a way that more Montanans could do that and look, um, and it's not easy, believe me. There's some people who um, <laughs> who support certain things that are completely against who I am as an indigenous two-spirit person, mm-hmm. and I struggle with it on the on the regular. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you support something or someone who attacks my very being? Um, so I struggle. It's not easy, but that's what being a leader is, right? That's what it's about. It's about finding that common ground and working together, and and for the betterment of of uh of the entire state, of the entire country, the entire world. And so I think that's an opportunity for us as Montana is to find that common ground as leadership Montana does. So so how do you reconcile what you just explained when someone supports a candidate or supports an idea that very that might directly attack you, as you said? How do you reconcile your relationship with that person? Well... We focus on our, our, our strengths together. I have two um, friends that, well, I probably have more than that. That's why I do have more than that, but two that mean a lot to me. Um, we talk about what we have in common. Um, even when we're having beers, we still keep it to what we have in common. Mm-hmm. I heard a story told about me um, at Leadership Montana, Jerry, uh, talked about a how me and my dear friend Sarah are opposite in a lot of ways, but are a lot of we have a lot of similarities both in our personalities and in our things we care deeply about. Um, I think even the way we come off to certain people, we have a lot of things in common. And um, in 2016, we were both in D.C. Um, I was there for the women's march, and she was there for. Um, the inauguration and yet we maintain a very um, loving relationship and I value her um, like I value some of my family members Mm -hmm. because we both I know like in our heart she cares about things and we just have I guess it's just different just different priorities that we have right my priority another friend um, that I have also gained through leadership Montana Misty, um, we talk about what we care about, and I care about social justice. She cares about economy, right? And so, of course, we're not going to find um, very many things to agree on as far as like politics. But when you talk about seeing Indigenous kids um, succeed through college um, and helping them get through high school and graduate and get their homework done and all those things, that's where we f- we work together and we can find that common ground, and that's where we stay. Um, the, she was at my house one day and, um, my kids asked, I can't remember what they asked, um, how can you support so-and-so and and you support so-and-so? And I think Misty said, because she cares about one thing and I care about another. I don't even remember what the answer was, but even my kids questioned, like, how can you Mm -hmm. be around somebody who does that? Um, but it's like teaching my kids too, that just because we disagree on things doesn't mean we have to ostracize them and both women I I love dearly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I that is so much where my passion lies in finding those ways that we can bring those different perspectives together Mm -hmm. and still maintain those relationships and take this culture of contempt that we have that's growing every day Mm -hmm. and toss it in the garbage Mm -hmm. like we don't need that that's not how we grow as a society that's how we regress Mm -hmm. right and so I'm I think that I mean certainly in this position this is the work that I do and I think even beyond that that's where my core is and I think you're there with me Mm -hmm. how do we do that what does this look like we can't everyone can't go through leadership Montana and, and build these relationships right so how can we get people to start talking to each other again from a place of curiosity rather than certainty? 
gosh, if we could figure that out, we well, let's do it. We would probably be Nobel Prize winners. Um, you know, I've thought a lot about it, about this um, because there's a lot of things going on from an indigenous woman's perspective. I think a lot of it has to come from healing and self-love, right? And I think Brene talks about scarcity a lot and shame. Mm -hmm. I think if we could get to that deep level on a personal level, then I think that would be a step in the right direction. I can't speak to it from a white person's perspective, even though I have white family, I don't know what it's like to live in this world as a white person. So I can only speak as a, as a Blackfeet woman. And I think that has a lot to do with it because um, these differences that we have in just America, we have it in our own, in my own community, my own Blackfeet community, you have people going against each other the same way. And so I've given it a lot of thought. I think you might know that if I could, one of the things I want to leave behind um, on this earth when I am done here is at least um, an awareness and a discussion around lateral violence and lateral oppression. Uh, it's tearing our communities apart. It's tearing our families apart. And it's making um, leadership harder. What is that? Lateral violence, it used to be called lateral oppression, so it's when people, oppressed people, oppress each other more. Uh, it's also called the crab in the bucket effect. Um, and in my reading, in my experience, um, I've heard the saying my entire life, lateral oppression, and now recently it's called lateral violence because we're so mean to each other in our communities. Um, I want, and again, my passion is indigenous women. I want indigenous women to help each other up and lift each other up. Mm -hmm. When there is a difference, let's find a common ground. Mm -hmm. Let's find out where we care. I know we all care about our elders. We all care about our kids. Um, you know, I just know we as indigenous people, we do. And so I think that has a lot, lot of, that could do a lot. But mm -hmm. again, that's a whole, like, that's a whole lot of work, right, mm -hmm. to help people heal. I think about just my journey and and I um, my journey of healing and becoming figuring out how to love myself and accept myself for who I am, which as you know, it's still a journey that I'm on. I still listen to the cheap seats wherever they are, and most of it's in my head. Um, and so part of it is like just being okay to be on that journey and being open and okay with yourself, because then when we love ourselves, we can love others mm. more. Than, and accept others more because we're not judging ourselves at the same time that we're judging others. That's all I can think of. And, and believe me, I give it a lot of thought because it's something that just breaks my heart to see our people not be good to each other. Mm -hmm. I think from a white woman's perspective, what I see is a deep whole of understanding of of our indigenous neighbors we there's so many people that maybe have never been on a tribal nation or have experienced a culture that exists right inside of our borders mm -hmm. or even know that there are seven now you know now eight sovereign nations mm -hmm. and i think we have so many opportunities for education for the other side of that coin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. I, I, you hit it right on. It is that it, getting to know each other, which, and you're right, how do we do this? Because not everybody, not all one million people in Montana can go through Leadership Montana. So how do we create that, um, that gracious space? How do we yeah. listen, right? How do we learn in public, which is hard. Mm -hmm. I've done it a few times um, in, but, but a lot of the times within the safety of and comfort of a leadership Montana, um, at least event or people or something, I do it a little bit in my, my office place, a lot in my home. Mm -hmm. But I think it's like creating that and just sharing more and more. I think what you guys are doing is there. 
um, we're on the right track. We're on the right track. We just need to speed it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need more coffee. Yeah. All right, you ready for the lightning round? Mm-hmm. All right. What's your favorite word? That's my favorite word, too. <laughs> What's your favorite sound? Mm, the water. Mm. Mine, too. What brings you joy? My family. Same. Who's your hero? Hmm. It's tough. I'd say um, my hero is my boy because he lived his life with a, a disability and he did it with dignity mm. and he did everything he could do to make others feel good and laugh. Same. That's my answer, too. I'm not even supposed to answer these questions, <laughs> and I am, because they're all the same. Fill in the blank. Leadership is? Mm. Courage. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? Mm. In the mountains back home on my reservation. Yeah. What do you consider to be your proudest accomplishment? My kids. If you could choose to do anything for one day, what would it be? I'd go on a boat in the water with friends and family and just laugh and have fun mm -hmm. and have no worries for that day. Mm -hmm. What's the last book you read? Uh, Brene Brown's book. Uh, what was the last one? Gifts of Imperfection, I think, was my last one I read before Dare to Lead. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What is your favorite movie? I don't watch TV. I don't watch TV. That's a good answer. Um, all right, last question. If you could pick a song to be your personal anthem, what would it be? She's Everything by Brad Paisley. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. You know what? You are everything. Thank you. Thank you, Marcy McLean, so for being much. with us today. Thank you, and thank your team for all you guys do. Likewise. Thanks to Marcy McLean and Chantel Schieffer for that wonderful conversation. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed today's show and want to show support for Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're up to it, tell a friend about the show too. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Please email me, eric at leadershipmontana.org. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Cudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana.